Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. The topic of suicide among K-12 students is one that I've brought up in the past, in previous episodes, before this podcast was initially deleted. Again, after 80-some-odd episodes. Um, not by me, of course. But it's one that I want to touch on again because it's it's back in the news, so to speak, and um, there's a, a particular uh, Las Vegas school district, or the Las Vegas public school district, has apparently received, or experienced rather, um, 18 student suicides as of late. And they're claiming that it's because school, their own schools are not open as of right now uh, for face-to-face full-time learning. And while that might be the case, for some individuals, I'm, I'm here to tell you that that, in my professional opinion, is a propaganda line, that that's probably not the case. Because as I'm going to quickly outline here, it's actually the school environment itself that can drive a student to have depression, which is ultimately a chemical imbalance in the brain that leads to one thinking about hurting themselves, which then leads to what Dr. Tracy Cross specifically refers to as completing suicide. Because the statistics for suicide and the rates of of who's likely to try as opposed to who's likely to complete it are different, as, as many of us know, between males and females. Females are more likely to try, whereas males are more likely to complete the actual act of killing themselves. So, I wanted to go through this particular book here, or just a few, uh, a few highlights and a few, um, a few bullet points. And this book again is titled "Suicide Among Gifted Children and Adolescents: Understa- Understanding the Suicidal Mind" by Tracy L. Cross, Ph.D., and I believe his wife Jennifer Riddell Cross, Ph.D. Um, there are two editions of this book. You can grab either one of them. They're both fantastic because again, they're both the same primarily, but there's a particular chapter here that is about suicidal behavior among gifted children, and the major point that he highlights in this book has to do with the fact that schools who highlight children as being talented and gifted, and that's not a reverse, that's not reverse lingo. So one of the really screwed up things that happens in K-12 schools is they'll call particular students talented and gifted, when in fact they're, they are the ones that have the most paperwork and the most learning accommodations and the most quote-unquote handicapped. In this particular book, that's not what he's discussing. He's talking about the students that have tested the highest, the students that academically succeed at the, at the greatest rates. He says that these are the students that are the most likely to end up with depression, both as teenagers and then as young adults, and then ultimately think or think or have thoughts about hurting themselves or actually completing the act of suicide. So why is that? As it turns out, it's the entire school environment that is to blame. It's it's the school environment, it's the pressures that the school environment puts on the puts on the minor from multiple angles to be a part of this group or to be a part of this club to look this way or to walk this way or talk this way or dress this way or, again, be a part of this clique or that clique. All of those groups, clubs, and organizations and lines 
I would say that that a public school is likely to indoctrinate a young mind with are all distractions that seek to ultimately destroy the mind of the individual by teaching the individual that they have to rely on others on a constant basis and they have to rely on a group of people in order to get something done. Essentially, you can't get anything done without the help of us. That we're here for you and don't you dare think that you can do anything without us. That's what the school buildings tend to push on their students. And it's unfortunate because they aren't thinking ab about the mental and emotional toll that that takes on the minor. And it does take a massive, massive toll. This is why we have middle school students who use drugs. This is one of the reasons why we have middle school students who, who drink and show up to school drunk. This is also why we have middle school students acting out in particular ways, whether it be violent, sexual, you name it. These are all the different sort of workplace characteristics that a K-12 school environment can engage in that push and pressure the minor into behaving a particular way. And then ultimately, as I've said in the past, you can bend a child only so much before they break, and you never know when they're going to break. So let me read through some of these, and these are titled as Commonalities with Adolescent Suicide in the General Population. It says, quote, The following commonalities were found between three of the subjects studied in adolescent suicide in the general population in 1996. Number one, all subjects were adolescent Caucasian males. Number two, the subjects manifested four emotional states, depression, anger, mood swings, and confusion about the future. I want you to keep in mind, too, as I'm reading through this list, keep in mind about all of this COVID nonsense, the mask wearing, the social distancing, students learning in these uh, airtight pods where they're essentially fish in a fish tank. Um, all of these abuses that are taking place are part of the problem, but think about these characteristics um, as well, and, and think about, all again, all of the COVID nonsense. Number three, all manifested similar behaviors, poor impulse control and substance use and abuse. Number four, all manifested for relational difficulties, romantic relationship difficulties, self-esteem difficulties, conflict-filled family relationships, and isolation from, from persons capable of disconfirming irrational logic. Number five, the subjects shared warning signs in six categories. One, behavioral problems. Two, period of escalation of problems. Three, constriction. F four, talking about suicide. Five, changes in school performance, and six, family histories of psychological problems. Now, I'm going to elaborate on this slightly. One of the things, again, keep in mind, these are just quote-unquote talented and gifted students. These are the ones that, you know, feel the pressure from their families to highly perform or test at a particular rate or go to this school or go to that school or whatever. Um, if this is happening with them, then think about this happening with countless other students. But again, it's the school environment itself that is pushing these students to do these particular things. And one of the things that I found the most interesting way back in um, March and April of last year in 2020, 
major news organizations, in particular Fox News, was having on some students from time to time who were related to um, some of the guests that were on their program or some of the hosts of, the, of, of their shows. And they were on there talking about their online learning. Not a single one of them said anything positive about online learning. They all said it was bad, all of them. And they came from well-to-do families. And you assume that they're well-to-do individuals and maybe high-achieving individuals and they get straight A's. And it didn't matter if they were in high school or if they were in college. But they would have them on and not a single one of them said anything positive about online learning. That right there, again, I think highlights an even bigger problem. That these individuals, as much as they might think of themselves as being an individual thinker, probably aren't. They rely very heavily on individuals to teach them things, and they don't rely on themselves to look up accurate information on their own. When that becomes the case, the individual becomes a very one-dimensional human being. And then that individual ends up having a lot of trouble when the boat shakes or the canoe starts to shift from side to side and the water becomes a little bit rough. Again, countless students, and they're not going to have these students on television, I assure you of that, but countless students thrived in the online learning environment. They actually went from maybe wanting to kill themselves in the K-12 school environment to becoming incredibly healthy individuals now. See, no one's talking about that. No one's talking about the absence of the 9-to-5 K-12 school environment and the pressures and trouble that that can bring on the life of a minor and how being removed from that environment can, can end up being a very, very healthy thing. And it has probably saved countless lives as a result of these individuals not going to those environments where they're having to wear masks and be yelled at about not wearing a mask or walking at a particular pace or staying a particular distance from somebody else. In particular, too, when you have a teacher coming up to you who's dressed in a hazmat suit, um, talking through you through three levels of masks as if you have uh, Ebola. I mean, it, it's... It's just, uh, you know, the, the hypocrisy and the lack of knowledge around this subject is, is mind-bending because, as I've highlighted very clearly, I think, on this podcast over countless episodes now, is that it's very rare that the school environment will accept blame for any wrongdoing. It's very rare that a school board or administrators or what have you will accept any wrongdoing. And the teachers are relatively going to stay quiet because they don't want to ruffle any feathers and they want to keep their job and they don't want to stand out as, as actually standing up for students, which is the thing they're supposed to be doing. So in the worst school environments, it's continuing to be the case where they're saying, well, we can't have everybody back unless everybody's vaccinated. The students all need to be vaccinated. The teachers all need to be vaccinated. We all need to be vaccinated. And oh, by the way, after we're vaccinated, we all need to still be wearing a mask. Well, if the masks are effective, then why are you getting a vaccination? If the vaccinations are effective, why are you still wearing a mask? If all of those are effective, why are you st why are you still staying away from one another? And if all of that works, why are you still doing one week on, one week off? Why are you still um, doing the virtual learning for some, not others? Why are you cherry picking as to who comes back to school and who doesn't? It's it's beyond embarrassing, and I've brought it up before that this is what happens when you lie. This is what happens when 
you're Ill, when an individual or a group of people are ill-informed, they don't think as individuals, and they just follow the leader right off of a cliff. And then everybody ends up wondering, well, you know, what, what are we doing? One of the one of the one of the examples that a family member of mine consistently brings up is, is it's like uh, trying to pick up mercury with a fork, and that's exactly what it is. You have school boards and school administrators consistently trying to pick up mercury with a fork, but who 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 created the problem? Who is it that created the problem in the first place and was incredibly reactionary? And as I said again, and read in the last Thomas Sowell book in in the last episode. Schools are reactionary. They're not proactive. They are reactive. They've always been. They always will be. When somebody screams, we're proactive, we're proactive, the exact opposite is the case. The exact opposite is always the case. Now, I want to talk about the college level, too, because the college level is equally to blame in this entire fiasco. First of all, student suicide among college students has been and continues to be the number one cause of death among college-age students. Now, why is that the case? Well, that's the case because they're leaving a pseudo-familiar environment of a K-12 school building, or they're, or they're moving away from their home, or their parents' home, or their family's home, or wherever it may be. Maybe they're changing locations totally, a completely different state. Some of them leave the country, and they're going into an environment surrounded by strangers. And for the very first time, they're having to operate Many of them anyway, not all of them, but many of them are having to operate as an individual. And that's like watching a fish jump out of, jump out of a lake and flop around on the ground. They don't know exactly how to behave. They don't exactly know what to do. And it's, and it's just sheer confusion for some of them. Not to mention the very structure with which the school environment sets up almost ensures that the mind of a college-age student is going to snap. Colleges now are forcing individuals to live with complete strangers in dormitories for more than one year. That's called prison. That's what that is. It's prison. You have a bed next to a stranger. I mean, think about that for a minute. That's not an easy thing to do. Fortunately, it's not something I did. I had an apartment, and I roomed with some friends of mine at the time who I was friends with in high school. And then we sort of all went our separate ways, and some of us stayed in school, and many of them dropped out. But that too is, in, you know, is, is pretty much par for the course when it comes to dropout rates. But the point is, is that it's the college environment itself that almost ensures that an individual snaps, because now they're having to manage their time as an individual. The individual student is having to be an individual for the first time, and they're 18 years old. So they've been alive for 18 years old, and they've grown up through the Prussian education system of the K-12 school system, heavily relying on their peers and their surroundings to have an individualized thought. And now all of a sudden, that's usually not the case. People get to college, and they spread their wings, and they go, freedom! And then they start to be an individual, and then things get out of hand. Not to mention it's the constant sort of large umbrella that sits over the entire situation of the unknown, that countless individuals, regardless of age, just don't know what's going to happen in the future. They have no idea. And that constant wondering can chew away at a, at a, at a human being's mind. And it becomes like sandpaper on the brain, as I've said in the past. So much so, in fact, that even that has been written about at great length. Miriam Grossman, for example, she's a psychologist, 
and um, highly successful. And she wrote a, a, a couple of books that I've read and referenced in my own books. But one of them, her first one, she wrote anonymously. And it had to do with the failure of college and university level counselors and psychologists when it comes to meeting the needs of the students who come to them for help. And that very quickly, those individuals and those organizations who work for those universities who were supposed to be helping students who are in serious mental and physical peril because of their surroundings or other things that have happened, fail to do so. And many of them simply just sort of kick the can down the road or pass the buck on to somebody else. And they say, well, come on in and talk to me and blah, blah, blah. And they're also very quick to medicate. And they're very quick to write a prescription. Because the more prescriptions they write, the more money they get kicked back. That gets kicked back to them. And so she basically highlights the fraudulent nature of that entire process. In her second book, she goes more specifically through K-12 environments and how K-12 counselors tend to do the same thing. They usually just kick the can down the road or they'll, they'll make referrals to other organizations and they'll sort of just pass the student on to someone else who's having a serious problem. The overarching part that I want people to take away from is this. When you hear these stories of students killing themselves and then the tagline at the end from the media, who we all know at this point lies through their teeth. I'm not sure that a single word they say is factual anymore. But they'll all say, well, it's because they're not back in school. It's because they're not back in their K-12 schools the way that things used to be. That's just not true. That's just not true. Homeschooling parents are having a great time. Homeschooling students are having a great time. They're socialized. They're meeting with other individuals. They're playing with their neighbors. Uh, they're, they're communicating with countless individuals. So the real problem actually lies in the individual human being who has failed to be an individual thus far. And now they're having to be an individual and actually think about their own future and their own present in a way that they've never done before. And that panics many of them. So in the game of finger pointing, me personally, knowing, again, for the, those that have listened to this podcast and, and know where I'm going with this, it's the K-12 environment. It's the Prussian education system that has caused this problem, that has caused the, uh, the mental and emotional decline of school-aged students. That's the breakdown, and that's the larger issue. If the system doesn't change, and allow individuals to be individuals, think as individuals, operate as individuals, instead of the constant conformity, you're always going to have a mental and emotional breakdown of K-12 students. But don't believe the propaganda lines about, well, it's just because, you know, they miss their basketball team, or they miss, uh, you know, <laughs> they miss raising their hand in class, and they miss the competition, and they miss their peers, and they miss getting swirlied in the toilet, in the bathroom, uh, in between classes. That's not why they're hurting themselves. They're hurting themselves because of a lack of individualized direction. And I'll end with this. I was watching a documentary. There's a documentary right now about Thomas Sowell, which is pretty well put together. 
and it's put together, unfortunately, by sort of what I would consider to be a pseudo-conservative. He's, he's, he, there, there's not a coattail around that he won't grab. But uh, anyway, it's, it's well done. And Thomas Sowell was, was, was raised by his, I believe, great aunt. His parents didn't raise him. Uh, his father died, I believe, before he was born. And his mother died shortly after uh, Thomas Sowell was born. But there was a quote there that hit me like a freight train. And it matters. And it's this. Someone asked Thomas when, Dr. Soul, why is it that you sort of rose to the level of intellect that you did with, with your writing and your teaching and, and you became as successful as you did knowing the family that you came from that was, that was poor and quote-unquote uneducated. He even said most of his family members, again, didn't even graduate from, from grade school. And he said this. He said, quote, because I had a family that was interested in education and they were interested in me. And that can't be emphasized enough. The importance of family caring about education and then caring about the individual and their own children. But as I've said in the past, if you're waiting around for government to decide your future for you, you're waiting on the wrong people. You're waiting on the wrong thing. And you're looking in the wrong place. And you're looking in the wrong direction. So people have to take control of their own lives. And minors should be taking control of their own education. Yes, they need direction. Yes, they need discipline. That has to happen. But don't just assume it's going to happen in a K-12 environment when a K-12 environment opens and now all of a sudden they're back to doing the same things that they were doing in the first place that were hurting people beforehand. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Don't forget to check out AmericanEducationFM.com where you can make a small donation or even email us and be a guest on the podcast. Until next time, never stop learning, never stop reading, and never stop unlearning. Thanks for listening, and God bless.